Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer with Windy City Gridiron. Today we're talking about the most underappreciated part of the game, the offensive and defensive lines. And to paraphrase Michael Bennett, all the important stuff happens on the lines. Everybody else is just running around. EJ, are you running around today with me? Uh, I am not running around. I am seated and I am totally fine with that. Um, I've done some running around today and now I get to sit and talk bears and drink beer so i am perfectly happy to be stationary well it's 110 degrees with the heat index here so Oof. i'm done moving around here so i'm all for doing the hard work of talking about the lines with you and, and drinking a beer i got a pretty fun one today uh i'm drinking a beer called hog waller scramble in <laughs> honor of the hogs it is a breakfast stout brewed with coffee and chocolate and i got a additional tie-in which is even better this is from Champion Brewing Company, which is out of Charlottesville, Virginia, hometown of one Mr. Kyle Long. So excited to honor our standout guard with the Hogwaller Scramble. What are you drinking over there? Uh, that's pretty impressive. The name is far better than mine. Um, mine is from a brewery that we've touched before, Laurelwood Brewing down in Portland, and it is The Wood logger because you want all your linemen offensive or defensive to be able to lay the wood but the other thing that i really liked about this is the description is not all beer needs to be intellectually mind-blowing experience uh this beer is simple and at some point even though offensive line play defensive line play two are both extremely complicated they're both extremely simple which is beat the guy across from you and so i've got the wood logger from laurelwood down in portland let's open these things up since it's so damn hot where you are yeah, I don't think most people are drinking breakfast stouts in 110 degrees. I, I was going to say but, something about the idea that that beer is incredibly thick for any heat index, but if it's over 100, that thing's not coming near me. So more power to you. Well, someone has to make the sacrifice to be able to use such a perfect name for this episode, and that, that guy's me. Although I have to say, your beer choice, um, unfortunately would have been perfect if we would have saved that for our Bears writer colleague, Jonathan Wood. So you'll have to find something. Oh, uh, I've, I've got something to top for that. Mr. Wood. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, Mr. Wood is uh, fantastic with numbers and I've got some beers for numbers. So that I've, I've got things in the hopper for that. But um, also veering away from the norm, I did a food pairing this week. Oh, let's hear it. So uh, in honor of one of my favorite Bears offensive linemen of all time, Olin Krutz who is Hawaiian. Uh, the beer store is right next to a Hawaiian barbecue joint. So I stopped in and got some Hawaiian barbecue chicken, which if you've ever had it is like a shoyu-based uh, chicken breast grilled over open flame, some sticky rice, um, some teriyaki sauce, and a nice little 
guava juice. So I had a Hawaiian lunch uh, in honor of Olin Crutes right before we started the episode, along with the beer. So won't do that every week, but it worked out this week. Well, that sounds delicious. And yeah, Olin's amazing. This guy I definitely looked up to. He was uh, playing when I was, you know, playing in high school, and really just enjoyed how much tenacity he brought to the game. So we'll we'll talk about a guy that has a lot of tenacity as well here coming up. But I want to start with the offensive line. And I want to go left to right. And the guy I want to start with is Charles Leno Jr. Believe it or not, he's in his sixth season out of Boise State. He was a seventh-round draft pick in that 2014 draft. Uh, One of those amazing success stories of, hey, we're going to take this guy. We like his athletic ability. We'll see if we can turn him into something. And they actually have. Uh, He signed through 2021. Whereas he signed a four years extension, which is essentially a five-year deal, uh, worth $37 million. Most of the dead money is gone in that contract after this year. For you guys that really like to follow the cap, there's only $1.8 million if cut next season. Why in the world would you want to cut Charles Little Jr.? I have no idea. But just for reference, that is possible. Uh, he's just... he's just one of those late picks that's made good. I don't have a lot of good examples of that in the offensive line history. He made the pro bowl last year as an alternate. And if he's what the seventh, eighth best left tackle in the game at that contract, I mean, whoa boy. I mean, that is just an amazing steal and you've got to like what you have on your roster uh, with those types of contracts to balance out the Khalil Mack type signings. And I just really love, uh, Leno, the player. I also like Leno, the contract. Uh, what stands out to you about Leno's progression over the years and what you th- what do you think of him going into 2019? Probably the biggest thing with Leno is exactly his progression and that it continues and that he has made himself into the player that he is by getting better every year. Some years there were leaps and some years it's just continual progression, but he continues to polish, round off those corners, get better, get smarter, um, understand how to use his body within the offense to do his job. And he just does it better every year. And though it's not huge hyper leaps from year to year he's again like you said been doing it for six seasons and he is playing i'd say top 10 left tackle in the nfl and coming from the seventh round the only way you could possibly get there is to do that and even with that a lot of guys wouldn't have made it but he did start with some great athleticism some tremendous length and he's just continued to hone and polish his craft and he's been rock solid he's been super steady and ascending continually and that's rare you usually don't see ascension in players uh after their third maybe into their fourth year but leno's one of those guys that just keeps his nose down keeps getting better keeps driving and does it very very quietly and i love all that the results the approach uh the contract the success story it's just it's just a great great story all the way around do you think he's the most underrated player on the roster uh, I think he's got some competition, but he's absolutely in the running. I'll say that. Yeah, he's in the first three or four names. Yeah, top you're three. Name. Easy. Right. I think as a pass blocker, he's grown leaps and bounds. He's I, he's really impressed me in that over the last couple of years. I think he's got to be one of the most proficient pass blockers at left tackle in the league. And, you know, the run game 
you know, if you you can take a step back as a left tackle uh, if you're not getting as much in the run game, but I think he's still doing pretty well there as well. And so I'm curious to see if David Montgomery is going to be able to have success on the left side uh, running behind Leno as well. But the most important thing as a left tackle is your pass blocking, and he just continues to get better at that. And to me, he's just super impressive. And again, sixth season – amazes me that he's been around that long but sixth season he's still got a long career ahead of him and so this is just a it's just a huge win for the bears franchise to have this guy in place at a reasonable number through 2021 yeah totally agree he's such an asset to the franchise it means that you don't have to go hunting for one every year we see teams do that um both in free agency, which is extremely expensive, and in the draft, which is, if you have a quarterback you don't want to get killed, extremely risky. Uh, and to have a guy that you can count on to know he's there and that he's got the right mindset, he's committed, he's homegrown. Um, generally, knock on wood, he's been very healthy. Uh, yeah, it's just one of those things that you can kind of, Ryan Pace can look at him and say, yep, uh, I've got that guy there. I don't need to spend a lot of time on that. Well, let's move to the to the next spot over to the guard position, and I, I'm I'm just calling it Cody Whitehair right now. I don't know that we have an official word that that switch from James Daniels to Cody Whitehair from left guard to center has officially happened, rather than just like, hey, we're gonna look at it and see if it makes sense. But to me, this was the obvious move coming into the off season, something that I thought was pretty obvious once they drafted James Daniels, but. I think the plan is going to be for Whitehair to move back from the center position into left guard, which, in my opinion, is his more natural position. And, uh, and to me, that means that he's just going to be a better player. Uh, he he'll, He's entering his fourth season out of Kansas State. He was a second-round pick, 2016. And all the buzz is that he's going to get an extension before the season starts. I took the liberty of looking at some recent contracts for guards. And I think Whitehair is probably looking... Well, he's going to be a very wealthy man here in the near future, uh, but he's looking at a five-year extension. I, I would imagine uh, that it, the contract terms will be about five years, and so that would take us out through the 2024 season. I would expect the deal to come in around $11 million per year. That's a right around the Ali Marpet, Kevin Zeitler contracts that were signed this offseason. Roger Saffold signed a similar deal. Um, I would expect the guaranteed money to be around 40%. And just for reference, Ali Marpet, guy from Tampa Bay, his, uh, his is only about 20% guaranteed, but I think Whitehair is going to get more guaranteed in his deal. Uh, so somewhere around that 40 to 50% mark. The only guard that really sticks out is uh, way above that is Zach Martin's deal. Zach Martin for the Cowboys really set the market here at like 14 million per year. I just don't think, Whitehair has the resume to demand Zach Martin money. I could be wrong that maybe that number drifts up that high, but Zach Martin way out in front with his multiple all pros at this point. Uh, overall, really happy with Whitehair getting back to a more natural position. I think I've heard a lot of fans disagree. They, they've liked him at center, but we'll get to James Daniels here in a little bit, but both of these guys I think are moving to their more natural position. And I think, it's one of these very rare opportunities where a position switch is actually going to make us better at two positions. Let's hope so. And let's hope they do it and just stick with it. Uh, I don't have any doubt about Whitehair's ability at guard. He, I think Whitehair can play 
guard, tackle, or center. He played left tackle all through his career at Kansas State and did quite well there. It was the classic, well, he doesn't quite have the measurable, so he's going to be a guard. And then he played guard all preseason, and then there was, you know, the move and the injuries, and they decided, oh, last minute, we're going to put you at center. And that was sort of the beginning of his career at center. Um, I think the first time I ever saw him snap was at the Senior Bowl. So I wasn't super surprised uh, when he moved to center, but I, I just think he's one of those guys that can do it all. So Whitehair is great. He's very solid. I don't think he's going to get less money than what you talked about. He's certainly not going to break the Zach Martin mold in my mind, A, because the Bears probably aren't going to pay that, and I don't think they necessarily should. You're right. Martin's resume is better at this point. Whitehair is a great guy. If he gets signed for anywhere within probably 10 to 15% with the salary cap going up, 10 to 15% greater than what you said, I'm totally fine with it. He's been team first. He's quiet, super strong. He's one of those guys that's really, uh, people say country strong. He's that kind of guy. He's got very strong hands, bit of a wrestling background, controls people, moves them. So if he's at center, he's a guard. I'm fine with either one as long as they make up their mind, mostly for James Daniels' sake because he's a younger player and I want him to settle in and get a run at a single spot without having to move around. But white hair, good in either place. Yes, I think he should be resigned. Yes, it's going to look pretty rich when he does. Um, but that's the market, and I don't think he deserves less than a guy like Roger Saffold. So... Um, yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the numbers pan out right about there or a little bit more. And I'm totally fine with that. I really like white hair in the lineup. Yeah, I, I think that guaranteed money is something that fans should look at, too, because players definitely care about that number uh, more than maybe some of the gaudy per year totals, because that number is what's well, it's guaranteed. So so look at make sure you look at the guaranteed percentage on the contract. I think that's going to be important. And again, I think that'll probably be more towards the 40, 50 percent mark rather than what Marpet got. Well, let's bring in Daniels, too, because those two really need to be talked about together. So Daniels is entering his second season. He was also a second round pick. Uh, that was just last year in 2018. I think he played pretty well as a rookie at guard, uh, but he's going to be moving back to his more natural position at center. As you know, EJ, I am a Iowa Hawkeye, and I will have to bring up this point from Kirk Ferentz. Ferentz called Daniels the best center prospect he's ever seen. This is Kirk Ferentz, the guy that runs University of Iowa's program, which if they do one thing well, it's produced tight ends. If they do two things well, it's produced tight ends and offensive linemen to the NFL. Ferentz also coached with Bill Belichick with the Cleveland Browns, so he's been an NFL coach as well. So he's certainly been around a lot of Big Ten offensive linemen. He's been around NFL offensive linemen. And maybe that's hyperbole to call Daniels the best he's ever seen, but he said it. And I think it's worth remembering that he really has a high opinion on him. And um, I, I understand why Nagy wouldn't want to put a rookie center with his young quarterback in the first year of the system. And so I understand why he wanted to start him out of a guard, not burden him with the line calls. But I think this is the right move to get him to center because this guy has the potential to be a, a stellar pivot for the next 12, 15 years. He's got everything. It's all there. The thing that he lacked, if anything, was just, pure strength, and I mean sort of brute strength to anchor against NFL caliber DTs and NTs. So guys that are, you know, 340 and incredibly muscular. Don't know that he had that as a rookie. He's fairly young, um, 
but he's very smart. He's incredibly athletic. I think he's probably more athletic than Whitehair, and Whitehair's quite athletic. So that's really saying something and probably figures into Ferenc's, uh evaluation. But also, um, you know, the mental has to figure into it. Ferenc would never say that someone was a great center prospect if they weren't a heady football player and didn't have a solid understanding of the game. So Daniels has that as well match that with his athleticism and you get him into the second year of a pro nutrition and lifting program, be able to handle an anchor against some of those just giants he's going to see on the inside of the line. And he's going to be somebody that if he has a steady year here in his second year at center is going to be one of those people we talk about year after year in consideration for pro bowl, you know, all NFC North, uh, maybe even all pro if he continues to, to sort of ascend in the way that Leno has and, and get incrementally better and smarter. So I think we could be watching the beginning of a very strong uh, core to the inside of the Bears line that could last a long time, especially if Whitehair is re-signed. We could see Daniels and Whitehair in there. Um, the next guy we'll get to, obviously a very strong lineman, um, signed for quite a while. Health has been an issue, but we're looking at a very, very strong core at the inside of the Bears line, and that pretends very well for their offense moving forward because if that inside core is not strong, interior pressure is going to spook quarterbacks faster than just about anything. And I think it's worth just noting as a Chicago Bears fan, one of the things, that, okay, hey, Chicago Bears fan, what, what does your franchise do best? <laughs> Someone's going to say running back. Someone's going to say middle linebacker. And both of those answers are right. But the third correct answer is center. Mm-hmm. The history of the Chicago Bears at center is amazing. George Trafton, the Bears' first center, is a Hall of Famer. He's got an incredible story. He also did some professional boxing matches and was like a, I think he got into boxing promoting after his career was older, over. He knocked out the White Sox first baseman in the 1920s. Uh, <laughs> apparently they got into some words at a bar and they, so they set up a fight and he knocked out the, the, the first baseman of the White Sox. Um, you know, that was followed up by Bulldog Turner, who might in the forties, who's pr- probably the best center in the history of the league guy just had all pro after all pro just widely considered the best offensive lineman in bears history uh you've got mike pile from the 63 championship team he's a very good center you've got jay hilgenberg who was an amazing center and un- un- unbelievable not that he's not in the hall of fame um, but he was on that 85 team and then of course olin who anchored the line for uh, over a decade and was incredible himself and so there's an amazing history of centers on this team, and I just I strongly feel like Daniels is the right guy to be able to take that mantle and move it forward. He's he, he's worthy of that uh, of, of being in that class, and so I'm very excited to see watch his career unfold. And now I just put a lot of pressure on him because I just named a couple Hall of Famers and a couple should be Hall of Famers, but um, that's uh, that's the level that I think of him, and, and I'm very excited to see how he anchors this offensive line moving forward. Yeah, he showed some flashes last year that definitely, I think, let's not get to the Hall of Fame part just yet, but definitely showed you plenty from a young player to say, absolutely give this guy his chance, put him in the right spot, um, let him grow and develop. It wasn't like, well, we hope he gets to that level. He he had some plays last year. Now, consistency's a thing. His consistency wasn't bad for a rookie, but he definitely had some of those plays where you're like, whoa, he's how old? Oh, right, he's 20. Okay. 
I think he was 20 last <laughs> year. So, yeah. All right, well, let's bring in the other guard, and then I want to ask you a question about the interior offensive line. So the other guard is the guy that almost certainly needs no introduction, but Kyle Long, he's going to be entering his seventh season, his first-round pick in 2013. He was an older rookie at the time. Uh, Kyle, this offseason, restructured his contract, so he's on a pretty affordable deal this year. Uh, basically accelerated most of the dead money that was on his previous deal into this year. He has a club option in his contract for 2020. If the team decides to not exercise that option, Bears are only on the hook for $1.5 million, so it's a pretty affordable get-out um, from a contract that was you know, pretty sizable. Uh, I think the reason, we'd all agree that the reason why they needed to restructure this contract is because of the injuries that have kept him off the field in the last few years, unfortunately. Uh, we all hope that Kyle can get back to the all-pro performer that he has been when healthy. And I really think he's got the best chance of that heading into this year than he has in quite some time. He was fully healthy coming into the offseason, and I don't know when that was. So he didn't require any cleanup surgeries or major surgeries like he has in the past. And so he's been able to hit this offseason at a fully healthy mark and be able to get ready, get his body ready for another year of grinding. Um, it, honestly, it would not surprise me in the least if he's able to put together 16 healthy starts just from that Uh from the fact that he was able to enter the offseason healthy. But it also doesn't surprise me that Ryan Pace protected the team from another injury and they have the ability to move on after next year without any real financial penalty. Um, just, you know, everybody knows that, look, this game's brutal. Sometimes the body just betrays you. Kyle is incredibly talented, and I think we all hope that when he's on, uh, that, that he's healthy because when he's on, I, there's truly very few people in, in the league that are that can play at a higher level than Kyle. Yeah, he's the guy that has rare physical gifts, especially in the run game. He's solid as a pass blocker. He's very large, um, you know, 6'6", 3'16", 3'20", depending on where he is in the season. Health has been the thing, but he has the length and the athleticism to be a very good pass blocker. I think he's a very solid pass blocker, um, average to better than average pass blocker, but where he's really different than almost anybody in the league is in the run game. He has rare physical gifts and strength, and he mates those with a very aggressive attitude um, and ability to really just maul guys. It's not so much technical proficiency. He's gotten better at that. But he is just so raw and powerful in the run game that when he is healthy and, like you said, on, there are few people that can do what he does to, you know, again, grown men who are 315, 320 and trying to actively oppose him. He can just assert his will, move them out of the way, and usually roll them over. And you just don't see that. These are some of the best athletes in the world at that size. And Kyle can absolutely dominate them. And that's the reason to have him in there. I'm glad Pace protected the team because health had absolutely been an issue. But I'm also hoping, just like every other Bears fan, that Long can be solidly healthy, have a really good year. And if he does, I think it bodes extremely well for the Bears' chances. Well, and... He you know, you mentioned something, he's an incredible athlete. And I think that most people know this, but if not, uh, it's worth mentioning. He was drafted out of high school to play baseball. He was drafted by the White Sox uh, to play baseball. And so he went to Florida State uh, on a pitching scholarship. Now imagine 
Kyle Wong on the pitching mound, uh, staring back at you as big as he is. Obviously, you wouldn't pitch at that weight. Uh, you would, but he's still a giant of a man, and just can imagine stepping into the batter's box against Kyle Wong throwing the ball at you. Uh, definitely not a guy that you would ever charge the mound against. I don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's he's just a, a true brawler. I, you're not going to put on his game film at a coaching clinic to say, here's the perfect technique, uh, particularly not in the, the passing. Like I said, I think he's gotten a lot better in pass pro, um, but he relies so much on that raw athletic ability and he gets away with a lot of stuff. I think a lot of people can't that, that are the people that are less athletic than he is. Uh, he can get away with it just because he can make up for it in this brute strength and this pure athletic ability, which is not something you talk about a lot in offensive linemen. And uh, to be very clear, I think a lot of offensive linemen are incredibly athletic and they have to be because they're playing at a weight that's well above what other players are playing at. And they're still asked to do some pretty athletic things uh, that people do not appreciate. And at a guard, one of the things you got to be able to do is you've got to be able to take on those you know, bull rushing uh, defensive tackles. So you you got to be able to try to move people that are 350 pounds. And you got to be able to be athletic enough to pull and find a guy in space. And so if you're a guard with the complete package, it really does take a, a an athletic player to be able to do that. And Kyle can do all of that. But again, he's not a technician, like you said. Uh, but man, he's fun to watch. And again, I don't expect most people to watch offensive line as much as I do, or probably you do when, when the game's going on, but he is a joy to watch. And so next time, uh, you, you're watching the bears. And if you've never watched offensive line play before, just zero in on 75 and watch what he does. Cause it's fun. He'll, he'll, he'll just throw people aside that are, like you said, grown men, 320 pounds, and he can just put them on the ground. Yeah. I think, you made you made a good point about the coaching film. I think uh, you know if you're running coaching clinics, especially for young players, um, the only thing you're going to put Kyle Long's film up in front of a young player for is to say, "Don't try this at home." Uh, you know, don't right. don't do this. Don't don't do as he does because you're not going to be able to get away with it because you're not him, um, and you don't have his gifts. So learn how to do this the right way. Now the result here is awesome, but the the means to get to that end is probably not something you're going to be able to accomplish as a young player because you're not Kyle Long. So it's almost a cautionary tale. But yeah, if you just sit back for the joy of it and and watch him wreck people, um, he does it with regularity. Uh, it's not a rare occurrence for him to do that in a game he's the type of guy that you put the film on to a room full of offensive linemen and it's like oh you know it's that <laughs> yeah. like just everybody's just like covering their mouth you know just like you can't help but like exclaim just how amazing it was and uh, yeah he's he's fun to watch guys it's a it's a real joy uh someone to have that just raw athletic ability and be able to bring that to the offensive line position is just fun but I wanted to talk about these three guys. So the interior offensive line. So Whitehair was picked early second. James Daniels picked early second. Kyle Long picked late first. My opinion, let's go. So I'm asking you as the draft guru. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion, that's where the sweet spot is for off- interior offensive line talent is that late first, early second area of the draft. And I love that the bears have three guys from that area because it gives us the pedigree and talent to start with. And then it's coaching 
what can these how do these guys get coached up what how do we run a scheme that works to what they're good at and so for me the most exciting thing about this offensive line is having three guys with that sweet spot pet draft pedigree working together for the second year in a row and having a good coach to put them in the best position to succeed and work together as a unit. What do you think about the draft capital piece of that and, and uh, how they work together? Uh, both really good questions. And I think the draft capital piece, you certainly can find great players at the interior offensive line there in the second round, certainly into the first, but then again, you can find almost any player at the end of the first or the beginning of the second, because you're only 35 or 40 players deep. And, you know, there's a lot of players that play college football. So I think if you're not absolutely certain about the system you're going to run and the coaching and the way they can bring players into it and develop them within it, then yeah, that's a place you should be investing um, in the interior offensive line. I think if you get a better handle on that if Nagy gets established in Chicago it's clear that he and his system are going to be here for a while Harry Hestad you know says hey this is great I've got some success I don't want to go anywhere else and he is understanding of that model which I think he is obviously with his performance last year and how the line performed underneath him and they can start looking for specific talents that fit that system you might be able to start getting those guys a little bit later on. In fact, we're going to talk about a guy in a second who may have come in through UDFA more through injury than anything else that really says, hey, these are our specific traits and we can get them a little bit later because not everybody wants that perfect, you know, say guard prospect, that Quentin Nelson who's definitely going to go in the first round because he just has everything. Like you can start to go into the third or fourth and say, this guy's a little bit limited here, but I think because we have stability in the system and stability in the coaching and the way those two mesh, we can start spending a little bit less and getting similar results. And that would be great. If you don't have that, I think you're right. Um, Mid-second is a really good place to get, especially guards, because they just don't have a premium um, to be drafted. So a lot of times they'll fall. Whitehair absolutely could have been a first-round pick. He was talked about as a first-round talent, but he ended up sliding into the second. Do you use a second-round pick on him? You absolutely do. You get a great value there. So, you know, I think those two things hinge together, and if we can get stability in Chicago in the way that they have it in a place, um, I'm going to say New England, but I don't mean to that extent where the system and the coach and, and the theory of the players you want to get, you see uh, Belichick do that in New England. He goes deeper into the draft and gets guys in the third or the fourth that um, play very, very well on that line because they know exactly what they want, and they can they know they can mold or coach up those players that come from a little bit later down in the draft. Yeah, that's, that's true. And I think the other piece of that question was having the unit together for the second year in a row, but why don't we bring in Massey because he's part of that. And and we can talk about the entire offensive line with that piece of the question. So let's finish it out. The last starter, right tackle, Bobby Massey entering his eighth season. Uh, He's out of Mississippi fourth round pick of the Cardinals in 2012 uh, Massey signed a nice contract in the offseason to be able to come back to Chicago and I say nice because I think it was one of those contracts that was good for re- both parties Massey wanted to stay Ryan Pace gladly said yes please sign here before free agency started and that deal took about 20 minutes to be like oh yeah 
that deal looks pretty good. Uh, four years, $31 million. I just really give Pace a pat on the back because free agency started and right tackles started signing for much more money. And I like, I like Massey. I, I, I love that he wanted to come back. Um, here's another guy that I think has gotten better since he came from the Cardinals. I don't know what they were doing out there in Arizona to him, but he came in really sloppy and he's definitely improved there. Uh, I think he's gotten a lot better in, in his past pro. I think he comes in with the reputation of being a, a mauler in the run game and certainly with his size that that's certainly easy to see. Uh, but I think he's actually gotten better in his past pro. He still needs help from the chips from tight ends and, and running backs. And, you know, you're always going to keep an extra eye with a guy that that's big, that maybe doesn't have that uh, athletic ability in the passing uh, in his pass pro. But again, I think he's improved. And so um, I'm curious to see, to hear what you think of Massey. And do you think that he's gotten better in that passing game? Um, and do you think he's still the mauler that his reputation has, has given him? All good questions. I like to refer to Bobby Massey as the much maligned Bobby Massey. He's taken <laughs> a lot of garbage in his time in Chicago, and I think not rightfully so. Uh, I've been a Massey supporter since about the second year um, after his arrival. His first year, like you said, he was really sloppy, took a lot of penalties, and I think that set um, the opinion of Bobby Massey and a lot of Bears fans. They said, oh, we signed this guy, took a lot of money, because, of course, when you sign a guy at free agency, you pay more for him than you would if you drafted him. There's a lot of expectation in that uh, combined with a rough start meant that a lot of people wrote Bobby Massey off and have continued to do so, even though, as you said, he has continued to improve. He's cleaned up his physical form. He's cleaned up his technique. He's definitely cleaned up his pass pro. Is he a great super fluid pass blocker like his bookend on the other side, Charles Leno. He's not. I don't know that he'll ever be, but he's got a great frame and he knows how to use He's six six. He's got very long arms. He's about the same size almost exactly as Kyle Long. And you know, he's got familiarity in the system. He's continued to work. He's kept his head down and he's been really solid. Now he has had some runs for the Bears, three, four three, four games, uh, notably two or three years ago. The first three or four games he was rough. Right. But again, they were switching coaches, switching systems, um, right. you know, and, you know, people are like, see, I told you Bobby Massey sucks. And I'm like, eh, that's not exactly true. And after that, if you look at his pass blocking grades, they leveled out and he was rock solid for the next, you know, 10, 12 games of the year. But everybody just remembers him struggling when it started, when they went to a different system. So I think everybody's looking for things to throw at Bobby Massey. And when he signed the contract, I was extremely happy, just as you were. And you said within five minutes, you thought, mm, you know, as soon as the first tackle signed in free agency, you're like, what did Ryan Pace put in Bobby Massey's water? Because that's way <laughs> below the value right. of the guy who just signs deal. And if you look at Bobby Massey, even if you're a hater, you got to say, well, he's he's better than that guy, and he absolutely is. I think he's quite a bit better, and he signed for less. So another great move by Pace, along with you know the restructuring of Kyle, that I think helped put this offensive line in the right place and on the right footing. And again, to move to the second part of that question, having everybody together, yes, we've got the switch interior, and that's one thing, but having the same five guys working together in roughly the same positions and an understanding in the second year of the offense of what they have to do with the same coaching staff is 
huge for an offensive line. You have a background in offensive line. You understand what that consistency of approach and scheme means to these guys. And I think you're going to, everybody's talking about, you know, is Mitch going to take a leap in the second year of the system? We should really be thinking about the offensive line who played very well last year. Let's, let's put that out there first, really gelling and being rock solid in the second year of the system. Their pass pro was excellent. They, they, their pass protection was was really pretty phenomenal. Their the run game and, and again is this a Jordan Howard thing? Is this an offensive line thing? Uh, was this a Kyle Long missing a significant chunk of the season thing? I don't know, but uh, I, definitely they were much better in the pass game than they were in the run game. Uh-huh. And you're right, and I think a lot of it is when you know that that guy is going to pick up that blitzer, you don't have to. Uh, stray from the block that you're you're currently engaged in and i think a lot of it when in the run game a lot of it's feel especially like in the power run game if you're in a double team there's a there's a moment there's a split second and you're only going to understand it if you're if you're doing it but there's a there's this moment when you know that you've got that guy beat and he's uh the the guy that you're double teaming with is going to take that block on -on one-on-one and you're going to scrape off and get the backer right Uh and that takes time and so the offensive line is really a team within a team. And it's, again, it's, it's underappreciated. It's not something a lot of fans are going to think about or talk about. But particularly, in my opinion, the run game and understanding how you're working off of those guys next to you. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the art of it. And so I expect a big leap uh, running this, this running game this year with, with these guys as well to, to be able to run that power game. And I'll tell you, I was just thinking about it. You mentioned Bobby Massey being six, six, same size as Kyle Long. Can you imagine <laughs> lining up at defensive end across from uh, a, a double team coming at you from those two? Uh, I, Oh man, I, that that's the stuff that nightmares are made out of. Those guys are gigantic and are just going to bury people. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, there's a lot of power, and you're right about the run game versus the pass game ratio of what they were better in and how they perform better on the field. And if you've got a young quarterback in a new system, what do you prioritize, or what should you prioritize? Well, you want to keep him upright. You you don't want to get him skittish. He was skittish enough in the first quarter of the season just trying to make the right reads, but if he's getting killed every week and he's taking a ton of hits, Physically, he's going to break down, and mentally, he's going to break down. Now, a lot of people would say, well, take the ball out of his hand and throw it on the run game, and, and that'll make him comfortable. And that was the John Fox approach, but this is the modern NFL, and that approach didn't necessarily match with what needs to be done to stay um, on time, on target, on plan, which is on pace for down and distance. So you got to pass, and if you've got to pass, let's, let's prioritize, keep, Mitch clean no matter what and you're right the the nuances of the run game weren't there a lot of times again if you put on the coaching film it's like a guy could have left a little bit earlier oh that should have been your guy should have held the double should have left the double wish we could have got the pull farther out all that minimal stuff and I say minimal because it's small details making a huge difference that stuff wasn't clean early and sometimes even late into the season you'd see a run play and you're like oh that was you know that was half a step away from breaking and a lot of times half a step is the extra angle that the offensive lineman gets not the not the speed of the back so 
I think we're going to see an increase there, and especially with Montgomery, who is going to be able to be cleaner in the backfield. I've said this since he got drafted than he was at Iowa State. He's now going to be making that first guy miss, which he's incredibly good at at the second level. It's going to be a linebacker, not a defensive end who's two yards deep in his backfield that he has to dodge. And that's going to make for a really fun pairing. I can't wait to see that part of it come together. It might be a few games before it gels, but once it starts to gel, I think Montgomery's really going to start running over people. Yeah, and a power run game, again, I don't think you have to be an offensive line aficionado. I think all Bears fans in their DNA are power run game <laughs> lovers. They just might not know it. And I think if that starts rolling, it's going to be a lot of fun. Start watching guys, uh, defensive players, just get flattened on the ground. Um, I want to talk about the top backups real quick. See if you have anything to say about these guys and see if you disagree with me on who I think are the the, the key backups in this offensive line. But uh, Rashad Coward, I think he projects as the swing tackle. And so if any of these guys have to, if Massey or Leno have to miss any time, it's probably Coward that comes in and, and fills in for, the, for that. Um, Larson, same thing as a swing guard. I don't think he... I don't think he's played a lot of center. And I think that if either the guards miss time, he would come in. And then I think if Daniels as a center would miss time, you would just slide white hair into the center position and you'd bring Larson into white hair's position. Uh, do you see anything other than those two being guys worth mentioning? Uh, I think those are the, let's call them the early favorites leaders in the clubhouse for those spots. Um, something could happen during camp that would upset that particular apple cart, but right now I agree with you. Well, let's talk about a guy that we've talked about before, and that's Alex Bars, the guard out of Notre Dame. Uh, picked him up as a UDFA, and you know, I think the hope is that we can hide him on injured reserve at some point early on in the process so that we can get him a year of that strength training and nutrition that you talked about. And hopefully he can come back next year to compete for that swing guard spot. If uh, Kyle Long sticks around or maybe even compete for a starting position, if the bears decide to move on from Kyle, uh, what do you think about bars? And, you know, that, that's the guy that you were kind of talking about. You wanted to mention in terms of a guy that you're able to attract with less investment in the draft to fill the specific role that you're looking for. I'm really excited about bars. He is well known to the coaching staff played under Harry Eastad at Notre Dame. If he had not suffered an injury his senior year, he was going to be probably a third, maybe a fourth round pick, um, possibly even higher depending on how he played for the rest of the year. He's got that kind of talent. Um, they've put some, uh, I think unfair nicknames on him. Somebody called him, uh, Quentin jr. For Quentin Nelson. Oh. Uh, but I don't think that's where he's at. But he's an incredibly talented guard, and to be able to get him for basically quote-unquote free no-draft capital because of the injury, it was two ligaments in his knee, but if he can get that um, healed up and strengthened, the year of strengthening I think is the most important when we see guys come back from knee injuries. That first year they're never quite right. Even if they are healed up and they don't get re-injured, they, they just aren't themselves, and then the year after that is when we really sort of see them return to form. So if we could stash bars uh, on the IR, let him get that strengthening component back, have his head through a year of mental reps, and then have him come in next year, it's going to be a tremendous asset for the Bears. So I'm really excited about bars. 
Uh, and that's a good point too that you're not it's, I think we saw that with Allen Robinson where he showed flashes of the old player that he was but again he was just that one year removed from that knee injury and that's why I think both of us expect a big year from Robinson is that he's now fully removed from that knee injury and so yeah I think that that's a really good plan if if we can bring him back as that swing guard next year and then have him compete in 2020 one oh geez getting getting late in the calendar <laughs> Sorry. um uh, for for a starting position that's that's fantastic long-term development plan for bars i think would be ideal so yeah looking forward to that well i gotta let's let's we're gonna switch over to the defensive line but i gotta ask i'm actually out of beer and i'm wondering if you want to reload with uh, beer number two for the episode first in uh, beers over beers history yeah, no, going for the double. Two position groups, they all deserve their own individual attention, and that means their own individual beer. So what do you have for beer number two? All right, beer number two. I've got a scotch ale. It is called Old Chub. Oh, yes, I am familiar. <laughs> Oscar Blues out of Colorado. So, um, you know, defensive linemen usually have a little bit of chub on them. So I uh, picked this up a while back thinking this would be a good for the D-line episode. Oscar Blues, North Carolina? No, it's Colorado. Is it? Did they move? I got to be honest with you. I always thought it was like in Missouri. And then the Kansas, Colorado. So what do I know? Interesting. I swear they had a a mountain bike ride center and beer tasting room in North Carolina. But maybe maybe that's just a place they brew. Anyways, yes, Old Chubb. I am quite familiar. I am going to go with a brewery that we have visited before, but it was one that you visited, um, Ninkasi, as an Oregon brewery. Uh, But I picked up an IPA. Yep, I know you don't like IPAs, and generally, neither do I all that much. I think IPA is generally kind of overdone. But one I like is from Ninkasi Brewing down in Oregon, and it is their Total Domination IPA. And if you want something out of the defensive line, Total Domination is a good place to start. So uh, a little bit more color in, in this one and um, uh, than your typical IPA. Pretty full flavor, not quite as bitter as a lot of IPAs out there. So I like it. Um, when I do need to drink an IPA, I'll drink this one. So let's open these things up. Well, Total Domination, I think, is a great name for a defensive line conversation. And so let's start with the guy that has exhibited Total total Domination since he's been here, and that's Akeem Hicks. Um, I think he is fast becoming a fan favorite, and I don't know about you, but I've had this working theory that he is the start of the change on the Ryan Pace administration. Being able to hit on him as a free agent pickup and having him basically blossom into the player that he's become was really the the start of this turnaround that Ryan Pace has been able to administer. Um, he's out of his, his eighth season. He's out of Canada, Regina, Canada. Regina. Regina. Okay. All right. Yep. Um, uh, in Iowa, we would say Regina. So just, just, just saying. Um by She's way. a nice girl, but <laughs> this is the town in Canada. Okay, well, yeah, we have a school, that, and then they pronounce it that way. So anyway, um, Saints drafted him. He played for the Patriots uh, and then hit free agency. 
He signed a four-year extension in 2017 to keep him th- here through 2021. And uh, yeah, we've been talking about Ryan Pace contracts. Again, it was good to just get him here. But let's talk about the amazing extension that he signed. He's on the <laughs> books for $8.6 million this year and $10.5 million the, la- the next two years. And wow. if, if his play is anything close to what it's been, that extension is an absolute steal. I mean, Ryan Pace might just start wearing prison stripes because, I mean, he's yeah. he's just a master thief at that point. Uh, honestly, I think Hicks has turned himself into a blue-chip player. Uh, he's got the body type and the strength that makes me believe that he's going to earn another contract. I think this guy's going to be around for a while. Um, he just has that look of a guy that can that can stick, and he just keeps getting better. And he's been super durable. He's made all 48 starts for the Bears since he came here in 2016. He's been ultra consistent. He's had seven, eight and a half, and seven and a half sacks in his three years in Navy and Orange. And I, to be honest with you, this is, to me, this is what a stud defensive lineman looks like in a 3-4. He's a beast in all the best possible ways. The fact that he's personable, the fact that he's continued to improve, the fact that he's on a good contract, those are all great. But if you clear all that stuff off the table and say, you know, if he was a reprobate and if he was making $10.5 million a year, you know, nobody liked him, but you just turned on the tape and he did what he does every week and he'd made all 48 starts, this would be somebody that Bears fans would still be standing up for and going, well, he's not that much of a jerk and he only spit on my cousin at the restaurant, right? (laughs) You know, he's, it's that kind of talent. So all having all the great stuff off the field is gravy and it's amazing and I love it. Trust me, it's so much more fun to follow a franchise with likable players. But if you're just grading on the tape and not the person, he's incredibly effective. He is really the first. I like what you said about he was the beginning of the change in the Ryan Pace era of saying, hey, we're going to get players like this. The extension aside, which I agree with you, is robbery. It's going to put Hicks on some underpaid lists here very quickly if he's not already, you know, top 10 best value contracts. And what they mean is best value for the team. Exactly. um, Worse for the player. But his production, his consistency, his pressure uh, off the end, his wrecking of run plays, um, just regularity, does it all the time, tosses guys aside and just slams in the back. He's such uh, an aggressive and athletic player. You forget he's as big as he is. He just has all the tools in the toolkit. Uh, he definitely wants to be here. He's that sort of vocal leader. And I think he, more than any other guy, really makes made, I should say, past tense, the Bears the perfect place for Khalil Mack to land. Yeah. Because if you don't have a guy that's already doing that, and when he was doing it by himself, when he was doing his Superman act the year before Mack arrived, he again he still had those results but he was the only one and if there's only one on a defense that's really wrecking things like that an offense can can scheme away from that they can double team triple team if they need to chip whatever if you've only got one guy you've got to worry about it's not that big of a worry everybody was already in the league worrying about hicks because he was playing so consistently and so violently now you put on a guy like Mac that demands at least two guys. What are you going to do with a guy like Hicks regularly? That's having Hicks really made the perfect landing spot for Mac, and the two of them together makes it nightmarish for opposing offenses. 
Well, and that's the theory behind the Texans drafting Jadavian Clowney at number one. Well, first they thought he was generational pass rusher, but it works because they pair him with Watt. And and when you're able to have the, that interplay between those two, and you know, to be honest with you, Watt's now kind of going downhill, and, and Hicks has never been Watt. I mean, Watt's, you know, defensive player of the year, but, you know, in 2019 i like what the bears are bringing more than what the texans are bringing i was gonna say wait a second let's let's ask a quick question you're always great with these questions so i've got one now straight up who do you take hicks or watt for the last two years well just because of the injuries to watt his production has been sapped so this is not the defensive player of the year no watt. this is last two years last hicks two years watt. it's hicks Oh, clearly, yes. easily, right? Not even close. And even when Watt has been healthy, I'm with you. He is not the the J.J. Watt of old. Like, he is not that guy that is just tearing people apart. Like, when we saw Kyle Long, another guy coming back from injury who really had a physical dominance come back, and he was healthy, he started wrecking guys again. Where Everybody was like, well, look, that's the old Kyle Long, right? Right. And when Watts come back and been quote unquote healthy, you never really know if he's completely healthy and it is a back injury. So anyways, don't want to get too deep in the weeds there, but even when he's been healthy and on the field, he has not been the same presence that he was before. Not even really close. Now he's still a very solid player, but not anywhere near to the level. I think of a guy like Akeem Hicks. No, I've, I've you know, I've watched some Texans games. He's a, he's still a good defensive end. I think mm-hmm. that, but I think that's as high as a superlative as you can use with Watt in the last two years. Ben Hicks has just been dominant, and so right. you know he, and he's starting to get some love. And I will encourage all of you to try to find the Brian Baldinger uh, uh, piece that that came out in the, within the last week where yep. he interviews that was Hicks, tremendous. and Hicks just shows shows such an advanced uh, level of knowledge. Of course, as you might expect, someone who's eight years in the league, but how he uses offensive linemen's uh, uh, momentum and inertia against them. And that's what I think is so good about Mac is he's so good about, you know, converting, converting that speed to power, being able to, you know, get, get a offensive lineman on his heels on that speed rush, but then push him. And, you know, it's, a, I mean, Mac's incredibly strong. Don't get me wrong, but he's not strong enough to just push a 330 pound left tackle over with his left hand. He has to have, it's all about technique and position and getting him out of position uh, and then pushing him along. Hicks does that incredibly well, but in the interior, which I think is even more remarkable in a lot of ways. And so uh, watching those two just be wonderful technicians is, is such a joy as well. So, and, and yeah, he, he, you're right. He's super likable and he's worked very hard to get where he's at. And he's just a, he's a joy to watch, but um, I would not want to block him. He's nope. just incredible. He's a he's joy huge. unless you have to stop him, and then he's a nightmare. And I think he's the the guy that most resembles an actual bear with his <laughs> with his frame. He's just yep. such a like large yeah. box. You know, he's just he's a, a huge he's dude, gigantic. So yeah, so so he to me he's a blue chip player. Uh, yep. You know, when people talk about blue chip. It means he's one of the top couple three four uh, at his position in the league, and I absolutely will stand on the table for Hicks being that. Uh, so that's an incredible start. I want to talk about a guy that I think might be in that conversation for one of the most underrated players on the team, and that's Eddie Goldman, the nose tackle. He's going to be entering his fifth season out of Florida State, signed an extension before last year, started, keeps him in Chicago through 2022. Um, I, it's not a glory position, nose tackle, it, but it's super important for uh, the run defense, and the Bears' run defense has been really good when he's on the field. 
but he still had 11 and a half sacks over four seasons, which isn't terrible for a nose tackle. That means he can get upfield and collapse, help collapse the pocket. But you know, he's on the field because what he brings for that for that run game, at least in my opinion. And I I I really like Eddie. I like him a lot. I bring him up in every five questions with uh, article that I can. So I'm always like, well, who who's somebody that we should know? And I'm always like. Eddie Goldman. It used to be Eddie Jackson uh, at the beginning of the year, and then I, everybody knew who Eddie Jackson was by about week six. So um, then it just became answering that with Eddie Goldman because he, he really is what makes that run defense tick. I think Goldman is the linchpin of the Bears' defense, and that is the point at which the defense swings around. If he's not able to do what he does very well, which is two-gap and stand and control two very large guys on the interior and make sure that they don't move very far. The bears defense can pivot left or pivot right around him. But if it caves in in the middle and we've seen this when Goldman's had some trouble with injuries, now he's not had a lot, but when he's been out of the lineup, the whole line moves more and you're much less likely as one of the defensive ends or especially as one of the outside backers to sort of go charging up the field if you know that the middle of the line is going to cave and that play is going to go back inside you, right, behind you. Um, Whereas if you're like, nope, Eddie's there, he's going to stand up and take one or two guys on and still make the play uh, largely if, if it comes through one of the gaps where he can get a free arm because he's very good at that. He's very strong, very powerful. He's built incredibly square, quite frankly. He's almost as wide as he is tall. Very, very stout guy. And very, very muscular guy as well. And we'll just stand up and be able to keep that one arm free and still hold a guy who's trying desperately to move him out of the way at bay and get in the way and allow, you know, Hicks or Nichols or, or Mac or Floyd, whichever side it's going to, to come in and assist with that play after he slowed him down. So he's really a linchpin in the middle of the defense, underappreciated for sure, definitely in that conversation when you mentioned Leno and said who's the most underappreciated on the team. I think Leno's in there, and I think Goldman's right there with him. Glad he signed the extension. You and I were talking about this pod, before the podcast started, that he's he's a bit of a unicorn. He's literally the only person on the roster listed as NT nose tackle they don't even try and list anybody else even his backups they list as dt more flexible right Right. goldman is the only guy that they're like nope this is his spot this is what he does this is why he's important this is why we love him this is why we pay him right goldman is that to the bears defense and he's really important that role is is critical in what they do and so if for listeners that might not care or think about that uh designation very much nose tackle basically means you're lining up over the center every play you're not going to find yourself over a guard and i i think that's uh you know just know that you're right over the ball that's critical for the three four and like you say it is a kind of that linchpin position to where uh this is where it all starts to be able to set up to be successful in the run game and it frees up guys like Roquan behind you or like you said if going side to side those those outside linebackers clean up and that's I mean if you think about Erlacher's success early on it was because he had those giant Ted Washington I was just trailer. thinking about Ted Washington this morning and yeah. uh, thinking about you know we're going into a, a episode talking about the lines and I was like oh who are some of, who are some of your favorite defensive linemen from the past and I was like man you gotta talk about Ted Washington because look he was a long time Bill but even when he came to the Bears late in his career, he was immovable. He, you know, 
a different kind of player than Goldman, but uh, very same role and just a tremendous force. If you listen to Olin Krutz talk about the guys that made him better in practice, he talks about Washington and Trailer all the time, but he talks about Washington first all the time. He's like, look, lining up against all of Famer and Ted Washington. You know, that's what he calls him. Yeah, he's um, a stud. Yeah, he's like, he, look, he's the best in the game at that position and trying to move him every day. It was easier on Sunday than it was in practice. And that's one of those positions that just makes other people look better. And and that's uh, that's why we keep talking about, well, they're underappreciated. Because no one's bringing Eddie Goldman's mug up at the beginning of the you know, the show saying, like, hey, this is the guy, right? It's No, it's, this is the key it's to the flashy, game. Yeah. You know, it's Roquan. It's, you know, it's, it's these guys sure. that are making all these, these racking up stats. But this is, this is like really Michael what set that it's up. The guys, it's the guys that are running around. <laughs> yes, I love that quote. By the way, yeah. Um, yeah, PFF, which you know, whatever they had a, a tweet. I think I'm pretty sure it's PFF when they said, like, "Oh, Eddie Goldman's living up to the contract extension that the Bears gave him. They rewarded their faith in him." And I'm like, what? "No, he was really good. Like, what are you talking about? Like, in their grades, this was not they're a basically guess. justifying their grades that they had a low grade <laughs> on him right when the Bears gave him the extension." And it's like, okay, like. Clearly, you have not figured out how to grade uh, nose tackles or defensive line play because this is a guy that's been really good since he's been here. So, yep. um, all right. Well, I want to I want to move on to uh, Bilal Nichols in his second season out of Delaware, and I know you really like this guy, and I just want to give you the floor to talk about Nichols. Nichols is amazing because of how far he moved, how fast, and that's technique-wise, skill-wise, understanding-wise, and all of, fusing all of those things together sort of in stride in the middle of his first pro season. Normally, we see that jump between the first year and the second year when guys kind of get over that rookie haze and go, oh, that's what it's like, and then you know get a full off-season program where they're not you know studying, trying to graduate, and trying to move to a new city and everything else, and they settle in, and we get that big sophomore jump. Bilal Nichols made his sophomore jump in like week six of his first year. And he showed a lot of rawness in his college tape. I'd not watched him before the draft. I watched him after the draft. He was definitely a a bit of a surprise selection. Showed a lot of good physical power. Showed a lot of strength. uh, Showed a pretty good head for the game didn't get fooled a lot at the defensive position and but looked uh, like a very young version of Kyle Long in that he was physical but not terribly refined and by the middle of last season you started to see him win with that physicality combine with technique refinement and some pretty sort of next level head stuff for a rookie that's amazing and he clearly played his way into that starting right side uh, of the defensive ends and that was not a sure thing at all. There was a big toss-up, and nobody was thinking that a you know a fifth rounder was going to come in and displace guys that had been in the system for a couple of years. But it was definitely an open position. The guys we're going to talk about in a minute hadn't seized it, and Nichols really came in. And by the end of the year, there was no question that he was the starter. And so going into this year, I really don't see any change in that. Um, short of a massive regression or some sort of injury, Nichols is going to be the anchor on the other side of the line and he's you know he deserves it this is nobody was handing him anything when he came to Chicago and he has flatly earned that spot and quite frankly he made some plays last year it wasn't just him holding his own he showed up on some highlights and that's crazy to think about where he was drafted the football program he came from and how quickly he developed 
Yeah, those uh, fighting blue hens. Mm-hmm. It's an excellent mascot, one of my favorite college mascots. Uh, yeah, I, I'm super impressed with him. And like you said, there was really an open competition, and it was Roy Robertson Harris and Jonathan Bullard, and that's people are going back and forth of who they liked. And Blal Nichols just came on and kind of seized the moment. And I, I agree with you. I, I think that the arrow's just pointing way up for him. I think he's super popular amongst Bears fans. I'm hearing a lot of people say, well, he's the breakout guy. And it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, he kind of already started broke out. Uh, I was going to say, he kind of <laughs> already broke out, right? I don't think he's – if he breaks out from where he's at now, he's going to be a lot closer to the level of a guy like Akeem Hicks. And that's ridiculous to even mention those two guys in the same breath. But if he, quote, unquote, breaks out from the way he was playing at the end of last year, that's the kind of stratosphere we're talking about. And that's – that's just crazy for a guy coming that late in the draft from that small of a school. Uh, that's a that would just be remarkable because these guys, most of the defense, you know, the exception of the corners, which you talked about, it's good to have corners with experience. Uh, maybe the exception of Danny Trevathan. A lot of these guys are really young. They're either on their first contract or they're early in their second contract, and so there's a lot of youth on this defense. And if you can keep seeing guys improve this was the best defense in the league last year and there was only two starters that were lost and it's a good argument to say are the replacements better or worse than the guys that we lost but if you have ascension from the roster from the starters on the roster to be better players than what they were then that means that this defense is going to potentially be better than they were last year which was the best defense in the league and so that's the kind of stuff that starts to get you really excited when you start to think about, is this defense going to be, like, all-time good? I mean, that's the kind of thing that hey, there's not a weak link on this defense, and there are blue-chip players at every level. And now you're talking about maybe guys that are, like, good, solid starters potentially becoming, like, all-pro all performers or, or pro-pro performers, you know. And, and it's it's starting to stack up to a level where, I have to kind of regulate myself until we get to, to <laughs> September because I'm getting really excited about what this defense could be. Yeah, and if you look at what Pagano did uh, in Baltimore in his year, everybody's like, oh, the defense is going to regress because they lost Fangio. And yeah, there is a changeover. There's going to be um, some gelling that goes on, familiarity with terminology. It's obviously not all going to be the same, but assuming that Pagano is not a good defensive coach. If you look at the year that he had as the DC in Baltimore, like Suggs had his best year ever. Um, the defense was top five. Like this is not a guy that doesn't know how to coach like super quality defensive players and have them be really aggressive in the same scheme. Right. Right. I, and that's just, that's I'm with you. That starts to get, pretty exciting but I, I do what it does allow me to do is sort of brush off the oh there's going to be massive regression in the defense there might be a little bit of regression especially in the first quarter of the season as everybody kind of gets used to each other uh but massive regression i i just don't see it i don't buy it either and there's a reason why pagano was a head coach he was a successful defensive coordinator successful defensive mind and that's who gets hired is people that are really successful at that level. And so, um, yeah, anybody that says that I'm just, eh, come on. Like there's, I like, <laughs> I like Vic. Don't get me wrong, but 
yeah, it's, he's, a it's great, the, he's a great coach. It's the talent on the field and putting him in the right position, and I have no lack of faith in in, in Mr. Fangio. So, uh, or sorry, <laughs> Mr. Pergano. I don't. I don't really don't have a lack of faith in yeah. Fangio either. But um, all right, well, the, the last two guys, um, the second beer is starting to get to me, I think. But the the, the uh, <laughs> last two guys I want to talk about, and you can add more on call the end the, if you want. Call it the heat. Call it the heat. It's I'm definitely suffering degrees. from from heat. It's, it's heat issues. melting your brain. Roy Robertson Harris, Jonathan Bullard, uh, in you know entering their third and fourth seasons respectively, uh, you know they're probably in a good position to come in as top backups. But who do you like better? Do you think they both stick on the roster? Um, do you see them moving forward with this squad? Yeah, it's a bit of tale of two cities with these guys. And last year it was, I would say, an even horse race between Roy Robertson-Harris and Jonathan Bullard. I was super high on Jonathan Bullard coming out of Florida, and he's just never sort of lit the lamp in the way that I thought he could. Um, He certainly had some ability to do that, some advantages, but it just hasn't happened in the pros. And that's the thing about the NFL. It's a meritocracy. If you you don't put it up, your draft status and your, you know, the – the alma mater you came from don't really matter. You got to get it done. Roy Robertson Harris on the other end of the spectrum came from a really small program as a UDFA, um, had to develop physically, kind of had to find a position. Was he going to be that really rangy sort of outside linebacker like Floyd, or were they going to bulk him up and put him at DE? Eventually that's where they settled. And I think he really blossomed last year. Bullard didn't do a lot more. He had some decent sort of backup reps where he held his own, but again, did he, did he flash? No, he hasn't. Whereas Roy Robertson Harris really made the most of those opportunities and actually sort of pushed the pocket, had some pressures, made things happen. So I think if anything, Roy Robertson Harris is getting better and sort of ascending, um, really sort of starting to find his feet in that defensive end role. Jonathan Bullard continues to kind of not show me anything. That pains me a little bit because I was really excited. I wrote a uh, night before the draft article about Jonathan Bullard because I found his tape very late and I got really excited and then the next day they drafted him and I got really excited about that and he had great upfield penetration speed but it just hasn't shown up in the pros. So if anybody goes, I I think Bullard could absolutely be a casualty this year. Look, he's going into his fourth season as a third round pick. If you know, one of these guys uh, like Jalen Dalton that I talked about from North Carolina, who's six six and three hundred, is a really physically gifted guy. If he starts, you know, pulling a little bit of a Bilal Nichols and and you know cleaning up his technique and making an impact, I don't see any loyalty to keep Bullard on this, the squad again. Mm-hmm. Now, Roy Robertson Harris, I think he's pretty well entrenched and will likely be the top backup for both DE spots starting off. Right. Uh, so I don't see him going anywhere. But again, he's ascending and Bullard is uh, kind of in the same place. And the old adage is if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And that kind of applies here. So Bullard, I could see being a not so surprising casualty of last cuts. Roy Robertson Harris, I see making a contribution uh, this year, maybe even a big one because he looked like he was getting better last year. 100% agree. I think. I had a five questions article. It might have been with uh, Baltimore or something, one of the first games. And someone asked, like, is there any open competitions and how do you stack them up? And I remember saying, like, well, I just kind of think Bullard's going to win the starting job, but I think Harris is going to be the better player. And I think that proved to be right um, on both accounts, I believe. Uh, and then we just didn't expect Blau Nichols to blossom to the to the player he yeah. is. But, yeah, and, and Harris is a great third 
uh, rotational end to have, and that's the kind of type of guy that you got to hit on is to to have those the the rotation on the defensive line because it's important to keep those guys fresh. I think I can't remember the percentage of plays that Hicks played in when his his first season, but it was oh. astronomically high. It was like eighty five. It was ridiculous. It was it was like eight hundred snaps or something. It was way way too high for a guy of his size. Like you just can't ask a man that size to go even three quarter bore for that many downs it's they're just gonna wear down and so with with a guy like harris where you can come in and he can take a series here and that that just makes the starters better and so that that third defensive end is really important um to to be able to have in the rotation so so don't sleep on that bears fans but anybody else you want to name from the defensive end or defensive line there's a whole whack of guys that are, I don't want to call them no names as if they haven't earned anything, but folks that Bears fans wouldn't know. Um, I named one of them, Jalen Dalton from North Carolina. He's a rookie they picked up, um, flashed a little bit on tape, but there's a ton of guys that are really, really big um, that they've brought in. Um, Darrell Banfield, 6'3", 300. Jalen Dalton, 6'6", 300. Um, Jonathan Harris from Lindenwood is 6'5", 290. Hmm. Uh, you know, these guys are not small, so they, they know kind of what they're looking for in this sort of backup guys. We'll see if any of those guys flash at camp. Um, but I, I think for right now, they're clearly behind the guys we've named, and really the, the sort of key story is does Nichols continue to ascend and does Harris continue to ascend right after him? Well, you know, this guy that played all my snaps on the line of scrimmage, I know what 290 feels like. I don't know what 6'5 or 6'6 feels like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, those are big guys. And so sometimes you take a chance on trying to develop a guy like that because, you know, you can't teach that size. And so nope. um, nice to have that on the roster. And that's really impressive with Pace and his team uh, to have been able to start stacking that depth those developmental projects on the roster and that's something that you know quite frankly you just don't have early on but now that this is where we're at where we have those starting positions filled out and we got to start seeing that depth start to take shape which is very encouraging so fun to watch that um so i have a question overall which unit do you like better do you like the offensive line that the bears have put together Mm -hmm. or do you like the defensive line oh I like them both, uh, but for different reasons. And, you know, I think the answer, short of Bilal Nichols, I think the answer would clearly be offensive line. Um, Just sort of more talent coming along. But, you know, with Hicks blossoming, Goldman being very solid, and then Bilal Nichols being a a very pleasant surprise on the other end, I think they're still behind the offensive line if we're rating them. Um, But in terms of favorites, oh, boy. Uh, I love stories, as you well know, and I think there's great stories on both lines, so I'd say it's a push for me. They're both very, very good. You know what? Let's do that. It's a push. I like that. Uh, plenty of pushing that happens on the line, so we'll, we'll push. <laughs> yeah, it. I hadn't thought of that, but there you go. We'll push our opinion. All right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you to the next question. Which beer? We had two beers oh, that oh. we drank. Which beer did oh. you like better? Um. I really like the wood lager. That was my first time with that. It's very light, which again, for a nice warm summer day, uh, and they describe it as an easy drinking lager with just a little more hops than your grandfather might like, um, which <laughs> I'm totally fine with. Uh, still very, very easy to get down. 5% ABV. Lovely beer, but I forget every time that I go away. Cause again, I don't, 
drink very much IPA, just straight up IPA. But Total Dom is one of my real go-tos when I need to. And uh, again, I was about three sips into this going, man, I forget every time how good this beer is. So I'm going to go with the Total Domination IPA from Ninkasi. Just a great, great beer and a nice um, nice version of an IPA. As we all know, there's so many IPAs out there that there's a wide spectrum of what an IPA is. Um, if I had to pick one, Total Down would be right up near the top. So I'm going to go with that. Nice. Uh, and Nikasi's an incredible brewery. So yeah. nothing wrong with that. Well, I'll tell you, I'll, um, I, I've had a lot of breakfast stouts in my day, and it's hard to not – compare that hog waller against the founders uh breakfast stout and it it doesn't really match up it was a it was a solid beer but it just doesn't match up with founders whereas old chub uh the scotch ale scotch ale's super underrated beer it's not something that a lot of breweries make and it's not something you can easily find all the time um it's super malty there's a little bit of uh, hop ending, which, you know, I'm not a hoppy guy, but, like, certainly not too much for me. But I'm actually going to go with, with Old Chub. I think Old that's, Chub, nice. I think that's the better beer. And um, I, I've i had some stuff from Oscar Blues, and they've been they've been pretty impressive in the past with some of their darker stuff, too. So, yeah, check that one out if you guys get a chance. Well, very cool. Let's get out of here since we've kept listeners long enough with both lines, a successful dual episode, two beers, two lines, um, and some real keys to the bear's success. But go ahead and follow Jeff on Twitter at at gridironborn. Um, follow me at the draftsman FB, as in football. The podcast has its very own Twitter handle, at bears over beers, probably the easiest one to remember. You can find the podcast and the rest of our work on Windy City Gridiron. And uh, you will also find us at Bears Camp this year. We are going to be going to Bears Training Camp in Bourbonnet along with uh, Robert Schmitz, um, one of the other podcasters on the Windy City Gridiron Network. We're going to be there for the first three practices, uh, 27, 28, 29 of July, I believe. We're going to be hanging out in a house in town and uh, trying to set up some events as well. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And we've got a ton of good podcast content coming for you in July. Some other interviews, we mentioned several of them in the program. We've got other ones lined up as well. We're going to have a cheap beer episode. So a lot to keep in mind. Definitely not a dead season for us. And uh, keep looking for that stuff. And until then, go ahead and bear down. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.